Before we go beyond the pond, we'd like to tell you about another one of our favorite podcasts from Osiris Media, Inside Out with Turner and Seth. Rob and Seth are two huge music fans, really great podcasters, and all-around fantastic guys. They have excellent energy and enthusiasm on their show where they cover the whole wide-ranging, all-inclusive, and sprawling world of jam band music. They've got artists ranging from, let's see, episode 87, John Modeski and Billy Cobham. In episode 89, they talked to Mark Brownstein and John Gutleg from Disco Biscuits. The most recent episode talks to the guys from Railroad Earth, John Kadlicek, Keller Williams. Rob and Seth are smart guys and funny guys, and they really run the gamut of the jam band scene. They've been doing this for a long time, and they very much care about their craft, and they care about the musicians. And frankly, they're good dudes, and they run a good podcast. One of their best episodes came as a tribute of sorts to Carl Bruce Hampton, who passed away in the spring of 2017. Rob and Seth had become close friends with Carl Bruce Hampton, interviewing him a number of times, and he really believed in the overall message and inspiration behind the podcast. If you're a Fish fan like we are, you know that Colonel Bruce Hampton played a big role in Fish's early upbringing, and he played a huge role for Rob and Seth. So we'd encourage you guys all to go ahead and listen to Inside Out with Turner and Seth on Osiris Media. It's a fantastic podcast. And with that, let's go beyond the pond. tuned into episode 94 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which, generally speaking, Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of getting the listener to listen to other bands. These are usually not jam bands, because we love Fish. We are Fish fans. Sometimes Fish fans can get a bit myopic, especially when they're stuck inside their house in their apartment for 24 hours at a time, like I'm guessing all of you are now, as you should be. I know we certainly are. So we're trying to use Fish to find new and interesting bands for them to listen to so they add some uh, add some variety to their uh, their self-quarantines, you could say. Yeah, absolutely. We're here to... This is a service mission from us. This is also us trying to break the monotony of our days. I know I wake up, I go to work at my kitchen table, I hang out with my kid, I turn on a movie, probably watch way too many movies right now. And uh, we want to change that up for you guys as well as for us. Mm. So we're really excited here in episode 94 to be talking about a phenomenal one-off jam off of a cover song that the band has played, I want to say three times, 
but it could be one or two more. It's definitely no more than five. And twice and, at 98, and certainly at the 10.30.10, I think. Yep, there was a performance of the song in question that we're going to cover, which is Ramble On from August 12th, 1998, Vernon Downs, New York. It's a fantastic jam. It's a really wild take on a Zeppelin tune, and uh, we're super excited to talk about this and bring you guys some new music some uh, new albums that we're really digging, as well as some other music that uh, we think you guys should be sinking your teeth into, especially now that you uh, potentially have a lot of time on your hands, but also just a good time to be curious. Absolutely. Some of uh, the themes you're going to talk about in this episode include non-traditional combos, It's Bliss, and a brief overview of Fish and Led Zeppelin. On that note... Let's get to the fish. excited to talk about a show that I was at a little bit on that later but um tell me in your opinion why this jam it's certainly um not what you think of normally we go big on this show you're talking things like Bowie and Tweezer and Split Open and Melt but Ramble on Slave yeah it's an interesting pick and um this has long been one of my favorite jams from Summer 98 and Summer 98 is is known affectionately it's the summer covers during this fish debuted the led zeppelin 2 track ramble on to kick off their august 1st 1998 show at alpine valley now while most of the covers throughout the summer were just kind of one-off stunts for whatever reason they dropped this lord of the rings heavy tune just 12 12 days later once again at vernon downs And prior to playing this uh, tune, Trey goes ahead and introduced it by shouting out to Fishman. It was a hometown show for him for seeing Zeppelin when he was 11 years old. I think it also is a tribute to Fishman's high school band, which I think was called Frodo. And I guess, uh, yeah, Vernon Downs is a hometown show in the sense that Fishman's from Syracuse. I think Syracuse is about 40 miles west of Vernon Downs. I can tell you uh, in Vernon... There ain't much there, man. I just recall one very heavily backed-up access road with, like, woke chicks getting out of the car to pee in the side of the road and get back into their cars. 
The connection of Fishman's uh, high school band Frodo and this song just hit. I, I'm I'm almost embarrassed to admit that I had not gotten the connection before, but uh, it just it just <laughs> smacked me in the head uh, with a pan, if you will. Um, so yeah, so I mean, the, the part of the reason why we're we're covering this is obviously it's a really great song by a really great band, but obviously here the the band jams it out and. Whereas 8-1's version was pretty straightforward in its awesomeness. And I would highly recommend the audience version of August 1st, 1998. Uh, Listen for the roar of the crowd once Paige starts singing. And this is kind of the part of the tour where covers had really started to come into the overall uh, show repertoire. And it's kind of that moment where people are realizing, oh shit, we're going to get a big cover on a night-to-night basis here. This is really special. Um... The band here on August 12th continues the melody of Ramble On for a few minutes longer than expected before Trey just twists and distorts the fading riff, leading the band into one of the most blissful and ethereal jams of the entire summer tour. I I would say whenever I hear this jam, it just sounds the way I feel whenever I close my eyes and imagine late set one summertime fish. It's just perfect. Yeah, and we think um, I kind of tend to agree with Brian on this and that Trey's summer 1998 tone really could be his best ever. I mean, it dominates the colors of this jam. It feels archetypal. It's got a display of the larger ambient melodic and uh, spacious goals of uh, summer of summer 1998. I mean, yeah, I mean, Fish kind of did do one-off covers like Umphreys McGee does them nowadays, just yeah. like at at the drop of a hat <clears throat> but uh yeah no in terms of um the ambient and melodic jamming kind of building on 97 while kind of deciding where to go next certainly this jam is a excellent representation of such absolutely and you get a really great jam for about six minutes it's locked in bliss jamming and then the band finds like the ideal landing plat landing pad for the for this jam right enslaved to the traffic light and this is uh notably the first set one closing slave to the traffic light since december 7th 1997's tube tube jam into slave and only the third in this slot since 1995 and even further, I was checking into this. There would only be two more set one slaves of 1.0, uh, December 30th, 99. Uh, very underrated show. One of my favorite shows of all time. And 922-2000, which was going to be my first fish show. But I got surgery 11 days earlier. My mom made me sell my ticket. And... Uh, Little did I know at the time, I had no idea Fish was about to break up, but I wasn't going to be able to see Fish for about three years. So I always hear 922-2000. It's a great show, and uh, just wonder what could have been. Did you ever tell me that before? I don't know. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I came very close to seeing Fish 1.0. I had a ticket, but my mom was like... I got back surgery, so like... I couldn't really do much. I was out of school for like two weeks. And she was like, there's no way you're going to see this grateful dead hippie band. And uh, <laughs> so I didn't go. That's like I was supposed to see Radiohead at the Hammerstein Ballroom in December of 1997. But 
My mom made me sell my ticket as punishment for getting arrested outside of a December 3rd, 1997 fish show. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's so, wild. <laughs> yeah. I ended well, up selling that ticket to an extremely grateful RA in my dorm. I made a friend for life. Well, from what should have been my first fish show to the fact that you were actually at this show. Tell yeah. us about what Vernon Downs was like. I love these summer 98 like vernon downs ventura uh portland meadows it just feels like they played in front of big fields a bunch of times across the country yeah like i recall i think it was about mm, four and a half hours from where i was in connecticut at the time I recall like i said the access road was a very long one lane type highway road with kind of like little farms and houses on the side kind of like bumper to bumper traffic people getting out and peeing people walking up and down the cars you know putting their finger in the air for like miracle and the field itself i don't think it's um it's a horse track i think it's like ponies and buggies Mm. like like buggies and ponies racing i think there might be a casino hotel element as well but really i just recall a huge field like a huge field, huge stage, um, two large like televisions at the side of the stage, so you could see the band up close, even though you're really far back. And yeah, we were pretty far back, and some guy offered me a hit of something that looked really red and interesting, and I asked him what it was, and he said, "It's his opium." And I said, <laughs> "Oh, I'm good, but thank you." Yeah, I wasn't wasn't about to do opium at the fish show. I don't know. Wasn't going to go there. But what's funny to me about this show is that the prior show I had seen was 4398, of course, in Nassau Coliseum. That was my first ever mic song. It took me 13 shows to get to my first mics. And then after that 13-show gap, the next show I saw right after Vernon Downs was in mics in the second set opener. So I said, oh, they're playing mics again. That's right. <laughs> <clears throat> like, don't you guys realize? <laughs> That's really <Yeah>. funny. <laughs> and then That's I recall awesome. driving home, the guy driving, my buddy, um, for some reason, I don't know if he had a summer job or what it was, but he said it took us like four and a half hours to get here. I'll get us home in three. And he did like 90 on the highway with the windows down, listening to like Rage Against the Machines, Evil Empire to stay awake. <laughs> and I, I guess he got his home because I, I live to tell you about it. So that's good. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <clears throat> so um, I want to talk quickly about Summer 98 gems that were similar to this because Summer 98 has a very unique style. It's we're going to talk a little bit about kind of thematically what was going on the tour in the time, but um, it's a little bit softer around the edges than what you were getting in 97, not nearly as like deliberate and straightforward as what you were going to get in 1999. And there's a very distinct type of jam that came out of summer 98. It's the closest thing, honestly, fish has come to sounding like Brian Eno in a lot of cases, uh, at least this side of 18 to 24 minutes of the MSG tweezer from 2019, uh, also known as the last great moment on earth. Um, (laughs) so a couple summer 98 jams that we have that we would recommend if you like this ramble on, check these out immediately. Um, I'll kick this off with, uh, July 15th, 98, the limb by limb. 
uh, July 16th, 98, Reba, one of my favorite shows and jams. Uh, July 17th, 98, Mike Song. If you joined us on Sunday the 29th, we did a live deep dive into July 17th, 1998. Uh, Mike Song has got a beautiful outro section to it. Uh, July 19th, 98, the McGrupp. Yes, the McGrupp. There's a ambient jam that follows the McGrupp. Mm from Shoreline Amphitheater that's quite beautiful. And the July 25th, 98, Yamar from, I believe, Austin, Texas, which is a heavily overlooked show, but highly recommend you guys all check that out. The Yamar is quite nice in set one, and set two uh, flows a bit better uh, on tape than it looks on paper. So going forward, we've got the August 1st, 1998, Tweezer from Alpine Valley, of course, being one of the first Beyond the Pond episodes Episode five. Did we talked about that? Episode five. That was uh, still one of my favorite episodes we ever recorded. August eleventh, nineteen ninety eight, Runaway Jim. Then uh, August fifteenth, nineteen ninety eight, Ambient Jam from Lemon Wheel, of course, and also another Lemon Wheel highlight. Uh, August sixteenth, nineteen ninety eight, Ghost. Yeah, so a lot of lingering styles, like similar thematic jamming. You, you had a little bit more diversity this summer than what you had in, I would say, like Summer 97, which was so forward pushing into like funk driven jams. This, you got like the ambient touch here. You'd have some really cool rock jams, some funk jams, but this Ramble On is right in line with those ambient, blissful jams. I think for some reason, out of all of Fish's festivals, I may be the least familiar with Lemon Wheel, which I should probably, I mean, I've certainly heard it. I've heard that ghost many times. I don't know why that is. A Lemon Wheel didn't capture my imagination as much as the other fish festivals, but I should do something about that. Yeah, I think it's kind of similar to why Summer 98 at times gets overlooked. It's, you know, Clifford Ball, everyone's heard it because it was the first fish festival. They kind of play like every song right. perfectly, at least through the first five sets. Great Went is just an epic occasion. Gin. Lemon, yeah, the gin, the second set from 817. The Lemon Wheel kind of, it doesn't have, you know, I, I love the ambient jam. I love the ghost here. Uh, the set that the ghost is in is a really, really good set. There's really good Down With Disease, really good Piper. I, I think it just kind of gets overshadowed in the same way that um, like fall 98 gets overshadowed for, for that matter. Right. Just kind of stuck in the middle of a few different eras. Um, in terms of this larger show, as well as this larger era. So just to kind of give you a quick rundown of August 12th, 1998, uh, this show was officially released by live fish in February, 2018. Uh, for whatever reason, I thought it had been around for a lot longer as an official release, but I thought it was a lot shorter. Year ago. <laughs> uh, this was a tape I got in college and uh, I think it was probably because of the burning down the house uh, encore that we'll get to um, but then I remember listening to the whole show and being like wow this is amazing you get the first LaGrange opener since October 22nd 1989 uh, a song that of note has only been played three times since uh, 11 15 98 Nine twenty two ninety nine, and then all the way on July eighth, twenty twelve, and it has not been played since. Just as a side note, um, speaking of Lagrange, if you're home looking for something on Netflix, the recent is Easy Top documentary. It's only an hour and a half, and it's great. So watch it. Yeah, I had no idea how much of like a little band that could they really were. 
yeah. And all I got to say is little band that could, but then like the worldwide Texas tour, which I really didn't know about until watching <laughs> that. It's like some, just watch it, dude. It's very good. <laughs> it is. Uh, so the first set of this show is really loose. Uh, features a very chatty Trey who calls out fish over and over while also calling out Jeff Holdsworth ahead of playing possum. Um, I didn't look it up and I don't know where exactly I'd find it, but I'd love to know when there were earlier mentions of Jeff Holdsworth. If there's any listeners out there who want (laughs) to find that it it, it feels a good stat. Yeah. It feels very normal from like our, our vantage point because Jeff Holdsworth since played with fish, but I don't really know the context of why they would have mentioned him prior to this show. And I would just be curious to know if there's like a show out there where Jeff gets a shout out that I'm just not aware of. Um, you get a really gorgeous summer 98 uh, classic rogue middle midway through set one. And then set two is basically just one long mics group. You get a mics that just hurdles through space. It's not quite as blissful as uh, 717 it's more of a powerhouse find simple which is really lovely and then you get rift loving cup sleeping monkey they kind of <laughs> weirdly make up the middle part of the groove and somehow work i mean yeah this is kind of the time of fish's career where you could have a loving cup play in the middle of mike's groove and it wouldn't seem that unusual i sure. think it was the mike's and the simple, both were very excellent and powerful. So this was certainly some uh, fish 1.0 like goodwill. I think if Trey did riff, loving cup, and super monkey in the middle of Mike's groove now, people would probably flame online. <laughs> speaking speaking of, we would. Uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting. I was looking it up because um, you know Mike's Weekapog was played in succession on 717. Mike's old home place, Weekapog, was played on 4-3. Uh, at this point, Hydrogen hadn't been played since December 9th, 1997, and would not be played again until 11-27-1998, where it is like a six-minute gorgeous version. Uh, it's a total 68-show gap, which is tied for the longest of its career. I had no idea about this. Uh, the other uh, period where it was out... Uh, for that length of time, 68 shows was June 22nd, 19, excuse me, June 22nd, 2016, the tour opener from Minneapolis, I think every fan has forgotten about, uh, all the Pretty way Pretty good show to, too, they play, like, I Found a Reason, yeah. right? Yeah, they play Dear there's, Prudence, and they play, uh... It's like, yeah, there's like a Velvet Underground cover of that show. Yeah, there's no jamming in that show. It's just a lot of very interesting song selections, like Pigtail opens the tour. Right. Um, But it was from June 22nd, 2016, all the way to December 30th, 2017, which is a powerhouse show. You get a pretty solid, no-nonsense week of Pog. Nothing nothing too crazy. Excellent squirming coil to close out the set. And then for the encore... (coughs) Because they're doing crazy covers, the only time they ever played Vernon Down the House, which I think at one point Trey does indeed yell, Vernon Downs the House, <laughs> before uh, a very slick you enjoy myself. And um, because I was at the show, I didn't. Trey plays like the intro to Burning Down the House is kind of like the like ambient uh, intro to the song, which I actually 
almost kind of sounds a bit like the intro to uh, Pink Floyd's. Like, yeah, yeah, I can hear it now. Like another brick in the wall. So I was yeah. totally prepared for Trey to go, uh, Daddy's gonna cross the ocean. Leaving just a memory. But uh, when they went into burning down the house, I was definitely very happy with that. I know the CDRs I used to have with this song, like, cut out right in the middle of Yem, which really pissed me off. So I'm glad that Live Fish put it out. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a really cool encore. And from here, the band turns around, goes, to, to, goes on to Lemon Wheel. It's kind of a perfect example of... Um, shows that peak right before festivals you know you could think of uh the hershey show from 96 right before clifford ball the darian show the bozo show from 97 right before the great went uh the burgettstown camden run from 03 just kind of on and on and on uh meriwether night one from 2015 ahead of Magna Ball, um, the band tends to play kind of a hot show before a uh, right before a festival, just kind of getting their sillies out before they jump into a festival set. But um, really quickly, this is, this is a good show. I don't know if I would say it's a hot show. Like I actually, I think set one holds it better than set two on like re-listen. I would agree with the latter statement. I, I think it. Yeah, I think set one's fantastic. Set two, you've got some weird stuff in the middle of mics, but I do like the mic song, and I think the strangeness of the encore and the fact that there is yeah. no You Enjoy Myself then at Love Lemon Wheel makes it really special. And there's a lot of tray banter before the M, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, there's just tray banter throughout. He was of, feeling very, very loose and goofy at this show, um, which it kind of feels like a show where... They're almost like, all right, we're almost on summer vacation. You know, we're going to go to this festival. There's 80,000 people, 90,000 people that are going to be here. Um, Really quickly, I just want to back up and talk quickly about the summer tour that led up to this. Because um, like I was saying earlier, it's it's a bit overshadowed, especially as the years have passed. I remember when I first got into fish, people raved about summer 98. And there's been so many tours since then. And 1997 is just kind of this like peak moment in the band's career. Um, so just want to give a quick overview of this tour because following their reinvention in 1997, uh, which peaked with what many consider to be their best tour, fall 1997, um, the band really chose to ride the wave of their new sound into 98. This began with a spontaneous island tour in April, continued with a very solid European run. And then the band kind of emerges back in America a bit smoother around the edges, yet with another batch of new songs prepared for exploration. So you start the tour out west and they snake it back to the northeast for their second of three festivals at Limestone. And like I was saying, they were less aggressive than in 97. As a result, their tour felt a little bit more standard than the previous year, while still containing highlights many of us are still listening to today. Whereas 97 is filled with this raw, aggressively risk-filled plane, the biggest chances taken nightly in 1998, aside from some of the great jamming, were really in their cover selections, including the Rambolons from August 1st and August 12th. The band unveiled numerous others throughout the tour, including... California Love from July 15th, 
Sexual Healing from July 20th. Uh, been caught stealing from August first. They played a few times after that. They didn't just retire it. I contend they never really learned how to play that song correctly. It seems like Trey's missing a note or two in the riff. Fish never really captures the like Stephen um, Stephen Perkins loose groove. Right. <laughs> but, you know, it's just it's a fun throwback, and to yeah. me, like a song like that as well as one we'll talk about here uh, later, uh, is that's Fish saying, hey, we're a 90s band too. Right. You know? As the resident, like, Jane's Addiction freak here, I mean, if they want to do three days, I'd be more impressed with that. <laughs> uh, August 2nd, you got I Get a Kick Out of You. August 3rd, one of my favorite covers, one of my favorite Fish shows of all time. They walk out on stage their night two at Deer Creek, which is oddly a Sunday Monday uh, tour stop, which makes no sense. Huh. Yeah, <laughs> I don't understand it. But they walk out on stage and they start playing Rhinoceros off of. Uh, that was great. Oh my god, man! Just what a what a moment! What a cover! They just deliver it. Yeah, clearly they'd heard that song before. That was uh that was most excellently done. It was really good. And then um, on August 6th, where is that? In, um, I think it's Atlanta, I think. Okay. They do Van Halen's Run with the Devil. No, it's it's, it's Raleigh. It's Raleigh. Sorry, sorry. Oh, Raleigh? Okay. Yeah. It's cute. I think they should leave the Van Halen covers to Humphreys. <laughs> Trey's, uh, his tone at that time wasn't really up to that of like Eddie Van Halen's but you know right. it was kind of I, I guess like supposedly for people who were at the show once it was over Trey had a look on his face like holy shit we just did that <laughs> and then going forward August 8th Sabotage you know they play that well that was totally fun August 9th Virginia Beach flawless gorgeous beautiful Terrapin Station it's kind of the moment that they were playing all these covers for was to throw everybody off and then they haven't played a big cover on August 9th and they walk out and they played fucking Terrapin Station. And then August 11th, is that Star Lake? Star Lake, yeah. Right, Trenchtown Rock. And then August 12th, Vern Downs. Vern Downs the house. So, on that note, Let's get to sound the jam, which we were discussing, and uh, play a little bit of the ambient jam, the ambient ramble on into Slave to the Traffic Lights.
guys are at peace a little bit after that that's just such a calming and beautiful jam there's a lot of crazy stuff happening in the world right now but the fact that we have jams like that that we can return to quick shout out to mike lawn memo minio one of our previous guests we talked radiohead with him 
uh, he's a great follow on Twitter and, um, he's going through just some challenging times right now as a result of, uh, work situation in, as a result of the pandemic, but I have to give him a huge shout out cause I constantly see gratitude posts from him surrounding taking long walks and listening to fish jams and realizing that everything is in some way. Okay. Because we still have this music in our life. And uh, I feel that very much listening to this ramble on the slave. So, uh, Mike, we love you. Hope you're doing well, as well as everyone out there who's currently uh, going through all the craziness of this whole period in time. Yes. Um, so, pivoting here to segment one, we wanted to talk a bit about non-traditional combos. Why are we talking this? Well... If anyone had told you that Fish played a Led Zeppelin song that directly segued into Slave to the Traffic Light, there are a couple songs you may consider be possibilities in this standpoint, in this sense. Ramble On's not really one of them. (laughs) The combo of Ramble On and a Slave looks odd on paper, but fits so perfectly in your ears. So we want to talk about a couple non-traditional combos. And for this, I'm going to talk about a band that I've been trying to feature for a while now. This is Quiet Sun's Mainstream, a record that was sent to me while I was in Korea in 2009, 2010, just about 10 years ago at this time, and became one of my most listened to records at the time I was there. Um, now, to be clear, this is not so much a strange combo the way Zeppelin and Slave are, but it is an example that by all accounts just shouldn't have been released and somehow emerged into the world by weird twists of fate, weird oddities, and ultimately just the power of music pulling people together, which let's argue that is why the Slave and the Ramble On are combined, because music just happened and it led us from one song into another. So the band Quiet Sun emerged in 1970 at Dulwich College, formed by Phil Manzanera, uh, Bill McCormick, Dave Jarrett, and Charles Hayward. Uh, They were this English psych prog quartet that looked to leap forward sonically with many of the themes of the era, but split up abruptly in 1972. Uh, The four members all went in very different directions. Manzanera joined Brian Eno and Roxy Music, and Dave Jarrett became a math teacher. In 1975, Manzanera booked a studio for 26 days, three years later, to record his newest record. But around that time, he got back in touch with his bandmates to jam. The result is Mainstream, a record that should have been released in 1971, but waited four years due to life getting in the way of all of its members and impacting the overall trajectory of the group. And in keeping in the spirit of this podcast, Brian Eno was on the recording sessions. So Mainstream is the only record from Quiet Sun. They didn't even tour off it. Manzanera played cuts from it uh, off in his 1976 solo tour. And other than that, it's never really reappeared since then. The record sounds like one of those intricate and complex fist jams from summer 1995, fused with the melodic expansionism and connectivity of Fall 97's masterpieces. Fans of Rush and television will find unity here. Ultimately, this is one of those records that you have to hear as it showcases not only a band uniquely capable of making a profound statement in one shot, 
while also displaying the irrationality of rock music history, the sliding door effect, if you will. So we're going to go ahead here. We're going to play a song, Trot, which seems to bleed all of these ideas into one. It's equally cacophonous and specific while retaining beauty and bliss. Let's go ahead here. We'll play a little bit of Trot off of Quiet Sun's 1975 record, Mainstream. never heard that album at all so i'm going to need to rectify that as soon as possible because that sounds like something very much in my wheelhouse it is so, your wheelhouse dave okay it is my wheelhouse it is <laughs> all right i believe you <clears throat> so i'm going to talk about an album that's less old I was thinking about unconventional combos. I was thinking about rock supergroups. This is a record that came out in 2009. The self-titled album from Them Crooked Vultures. We're going to play a song called Scumbag Blues. Now, it's kind of weird that a band that has Dave Grohl on drums, Josh Homme on guitar and vocals, and John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin on bass. It's kind of been forgotten by history. So, I guess it's not that unconventional a pairing, given that, like, you know, Dave Grohl is kind of like um, the floating, uh, like Bruce Hornsey was to the dead. Grohl was kind of the queens of the Stone Age. Played on one of the records, was always available if you needed them. And, um, you know, Grohl was kind of played with nearly every manly man hard rock band at one point. But, you know, John Paul Jones just doesn't get out of bed for anybody. And he was in Zeppelin. So this really kind of the horriest of 70s classic rock cliches. It's the hard rock supergroup. Probably has its closest cousin in Blind Faith, which you know is a 70s supergroup with uh, Steve Winwood, Ginger Baker, and Eric Clapton. And I think to the extent this album was forgotten, expectations were unreasonably high. But like anything that ends up being fronted by Josh Homme, it kind of ends up sounding like a Queens of the Stone Age album, which is to say robotic mutant blues and hard rock moves with funny sarcastic lyrics about sex drugs and rock and roll but mostly sex (laughs) but i repeat the rhythm section is dave Grohl and john paul jones so there's a song in here called scumbag blues which is the hardest 
most dynamic drum groove ever. Like da 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 da. I mean, with all respect to Foo Fighters, many of uh, whose songs I generally enjoy a lot, every day Dave Grohl does something other than play the drums, a puppy dies. So, really, I think this album, it deserves a second look. I mean, kind of depending on your tolerance for Josh Homme fronted bands. This is one of the better ones, mostly because it has the bass player from Led Zeppelin and the drummer from Nirvana just doing fucking amazing things. This is like a record to play in your car loudly over the summer and drive and pretend that you were um, one of the characters from like Dazed and Confused. I mean, it really <laughs> is kind of virtuosic rock for the sake of virtuosic rock, but it's fucking fun. I mean, that's all anyone really wants is to see these guys show off. And that's what they do. Whether or not it holds up as like a complete piece of art doesn't really matter when Dave Grohl and John Paul Jones are playing at the same time. So let's listen to a bit of the snippet of the song Scumbag Blues. non-traditional combos into new albums new albums as of recording are still are still being released um obviously the hope is that this continues no matter how long this quarantine lasts social distancing lasts these new records uh they're all going to be defined by this period in time whether they intended to or not and uh they most certainly did not because <laughs> most of these records were recorded six yeah. or seven months ago at the earliest but um i love the new pearl gym album but it definitely doesn't sound like it was made with the quarantine in mind right <laughs> um with that in mind the record that i'm going to talk about here is a record that offers momentary reprieve from all the craziness that's happening in the world right now. And I think that's part of its intentions. And um, that is Waxahachie St. Cloud. So Waxahachie is a long running project from singer songwriter, Kate Crutchfield uh, St. Cloud. Her fifth record is without question her finest. It's incredibly produced. 
fuses pop with indie rock, with country, with folk. It sounds uniquely American at this time. Uh, she's backed throughout it by the Michigan group Bonnie Dune, whose 2018 record Long Wave was heavily underrated and showed a lot of promise for the band going forward, even if it didn't fully capture what they are, are potentially capable of. Um, but Kate Crutchfield, Katie Crutchfield, I should say, uh, she originally rose to fame with a lo-fi wonder of 2013's Cerulean Salt. It was on her 2017 record, Out in the Storm, that saw her form a full band and record as a full project, really embracing blissful Americanism. This record, St. Cloud, is produced by Brad Cook, produced Bon Iver, as well as Hisco the Messenger. And it's impossible to not find yourself feeling the way that Crutchfield looks on the cover when listening to this album. Completely at peace on top of an old Ford filled with roses at twilight in the middle of a massive field. Uh, I even have the pictures to prove it. You know, I, I felt the same way. Uh, <laughs> um, there's something just in incredibly timeless about this record. The like 80s Americana production feels uniquely a part of the story that we've all been living either in experience or in passing. Essentially, all these songs have the quality of being something you know you've heard before, even if you can't name it. And I dare anyone listening to this who gives this record a try or who has listened to this record not to smile during the song Lilacs. It's just, there's such an infectious groove and the songwriting's fantastic. Uh, prior to recording this record, Crutchfield re, uh, got sober and much of the album St. Cloud is about her decision to get sober and the experience of doing so. It's really warm and really uh, just informative and also really encouraging in terms of her way of kind of overcoming any sort of demons, any sort of challenges she was facing. Um, I want to note, because we're recording this at the end of March here, uh, April, early April is when this record is going to come out or when this episode is going to come out. Um, as we close here on the first quarter of an incredibly long and already very challenging year, uh, it's really great to look back and realize just how many excellent albums have come out this far. And a small list of this, uh, Jeff Parker's record, Terry Allen, John Moreland's LP five, uh, the third mind, Matt LaJoy, real estate, Mosses, Stephen Malcolmus, Arboretum, and now Waxahachie. It's really great knowing how much we can still rely on the magic of great music, even in times of limited hope. And that is something that I will take away from hearing St. Cloud and thinking about this record for much of the remainder of the year. I don't like the real estate album as much as you do. Otherwise, I would agree with all of those. I listened to uh, the Waxahachie record once. I thought, ooh, this is quite good. I got to follow up with it. I definitely need to listen to it some more in the extremely limited listening time now that I'm basically running both the kindergarten and a daycare at the same time. <clears throat> so it's tough. So I'm going to talk about an album by... Um, Long-running Chicago-based experimental rock band called Caliphone. The album is called Echo Mine. I think it's their first album in seven years. This was a band, uh, they put out a record back in 2006 called Roots and Crowns that I absolutely loved. 
I love their album, uh, Heron King Blues. Lost a little bit of track of what they were doing. Um, I hadn't heard the one before this, but uh, so far, this record seems excellent. Um, Califone, of course, they're fronted by the somewhat always sleepy-sounding warbler Tim Rutili, who uh, kind of perfected the style of the alternative rapping on Quaaludes with his band Red Red Meat in the mid-90s. I know he made big fans of uh, the Smashing Pumpkins. I think James Eha had uh, Red Red Meat open many dates on the Siamese Dream Tour. And uh, quite frankly, I have really yet to fully scratch the surface with um, this Califone record because they take forever to unfold. They unfold leisurely. There are several layers. Um, I think the album is also a score for a dance performance. And I think it's at core... It's a dusty folk rock album, but it incorporates laptop beats, lots of spooky vintage sounding organs, slow chord guitar, lots of clattering percussion, and just sort of a sweeping unease that's, uh, alas, very much in step with the times. I mean, it's a fascinating listen that I'm excited to get deeper into. All right. So... Obviously, some new music, some great new music for you guys to check out. Transitioning here into segment two, we wanted to focus on that feeling that we get from that ramble on, which is just this blissful sitting back in an Adirondack chair, cocktail in hand, sun setting, maybe like the smell of like a grill cooking some really nice meats and a nice long evening ahead of yourself with friends. Music will be played. Mm. Laughs will be shared. Stories will be told and you'll have memories that you'll take with you forever. That's kind of how I feel whenever I listen to that ramble on it. Just it's everything I want. It just fills my whole body with joy and bliss. So we want to focus on a couple records that gave us a similar feeling. I'm going to focus on a record I am listening to constantly right now. This has been kind of a meditative record for me for the last two and a half years since it came out. That is Chuck Johnson's Balsams. So this record first emerged in my consciousness in the summer of 2017. It was a time following the passing of my mother-in-law where I was in need of peace and contemplation in simplicity. And this record was all of that. It lingered with me through the fall, came with me out here to Denver. It's been like one of those records I throw on kind of early morning if I get up and I make some coffee on the weekends. Just before the house stirs awake, it's just really beautiful. It's really quiet it's really thoughtful i had it on upstairs while i was cooking dinner tonight and it just like is a type of record that makes me just like center stop in my place and just realize that you know whatever thoughts i got going on work wise money wise world got to do this got to do that like there's just something about being present in the moment and just hearing one note on a slide guitar slowly build and then fade away. Um, So Chuck Johnson is a renowned pedal steel player who excels at creating space and feeling in simplicity. His music has a way of earworming itself without being overwhelming. 
And Balsam's is his best studio work. It feels complete while also allowing space for you to immerse yourself in. And while there's a lot of similarity to each of these tracks, it's kind of the point. You just get lost for a period in time and you feel like you're immersed in one singular larger idea. Each of them, however, features enough differentiation that you feel like you're traveling through tiny universes. I absolutely love it. It reminds me in a lot of cases of Stars of the Lid's record, The Tired Sounds of Stars of the Lid, another one of my favorite ambient records of all time. And this is just a record, I, you know, at the risk of belaboring the point, I would just encourage everyone in this time of great stress and anxiety, check this record out. Um, there's a really great live performance uh, that Chuck performed that was played on one of uh, Jesse Jarno's Alternate Roots episodes that was really lovely. From Those all came out in the fall of 2018. Um, but I highly recommend all of our listeners check this out. You know that I am a huge ambient nut and ambient nerd here at Beyond the Pond. Uh, we have Dave in our Jane's Addiction corner. I'm in my ambient corner. <laughs> but I wouldn't steer you wrong in this direction. Uh, this is one of my favorite records of the last couple of years. I think it came in in my top 50 of the decade. It was just such a huge impression for me. So we're going to go ahead. We're going to listen to the song uh, Riga Black off of Chuck Johnson's 2017 record, Balsams.
concur. That is a fantastic album. Chuck Johnson was also part of an album that came out in January 2020. I think it was called like Saraskella. Yes. Right. Right. He's like keyboard. Yeah, he has pedal steel. There's also keyboards. It's kind of in the same vein as yeah. Awesome. It's a little different. Also very very good. So the album I'm going to talk about is a different kind of bliss, but quite blissy. This is a new band called Vacant Gardens. Album is called Under the Bloom, and the song I'm going to play from is called Shorebirds. This is uh, the debut album from the duo of Glenn Donaldson and Jem Fanvu. I believe her last name is pronounced. Simply put, uh, it's a very well executed album in the shoegaze and dream pop genre, which if you know me, if you know this podcast, you know that I love. But I mean, it's not simply enough just to label an album shoegaze and have me slobber over it. If there's one thing you learn from exploring Bandcamp, type in shoegaze, you find a lot of shitty bands out there, unfortunately. <laughs> Vacant Gardens, they do it correctly. I mean, the vocals, they're mixed beneath the guitars, but not to the point of being unintelligible. Tempos are properly languid, and melody is far from non-existent. I like the guitars, they unfurl from the speakers in a languid haze, and the kind of the effect is not dissimilar to the first Verve album where they were uh, very much shoegazers, or the Cocktail Twins, who uh, both band members have admitted to loving in some interviews I've read. And they say, yeah, we're influenced by them, but the direct comparison is too much just because we love them so much. But in terms of... Um, female vocals over shoegaze guitars this one gets it done right i'm also reminded um more recently of a defunct group called school of seven bells and which came from the early 2000s group on air library both of which you should check out if you like vacant gardens this is music to bathe to music to bliss out to i know i listened to this album a few days ago when I uh, went for a social distancing walk in the park next to my apartment, which has uh, some magnolia trees that are in full bloom, totally gorgeous and yet totally creepy because the only people out there are people walking their dogs or riding bikes, in which there's maybe like five or six. So certainly listening to this record helped. So I would say if you are fans of the shoegaze bliss genre, certainly Go to Vacant Gardens Bandcamp, check out Under the Bloom, and the song we're going to play is Shorebirds. Thank you. 
guys. I feel like this was the right episode to play right now. I feel a little bit more at ease than I did before we started this episode. How about you? Okay, I'll buy that. You know, the combo of like the Ramble On, Chuck Johnson, Vacant Gardens. There's just good, melodic, blissful vibes in the air right now. I'm into it. Yeah, I'll take it. So, quick recap of uh, the songs that we played here. So, obviously, at the top, we played the Ramble On from August 12th, 1998 at Vernon Downs, New York. Great, beautiful jam that segued perfectly into Slave to the Traffic Light. In segment one, we talked non-traditional combos. I played Quiet Sun's Trot off of Mainstream. Dave played Them Crooked Vultures' Scumbag Blues off of their Scythe titled record. Uh, I talked about Waxahachie's St. Cloud, and Dave talked about Califone's Echo Mine in our new albums segment. And then in segment two, it's bliss. I talked Chuck Johnson's Riga Black off of Balsams. Dave played Shorebirds by Vacant Gardens off of Under the Bloom. Just a reminder, you can always find us in social media or at Twitter at underscore beyond the pond. You can find on Spotify, we have a Spotify master playlist. If the songs happen to be available on Spotify, we will put them into the playlist, which now has well over 500 songs at this point. Of course, we always encourage you, if you like these songs, like what you're hearing, go to Bandcamp, help these artists out. They could use money more than ever now that uh, the touring revenue seems to be sidelined for the time being. Also, please check out all the other fantastic podcasts of Osiris Media at OsirisPod.com. And leave us an iTunes review. Anything to increase our visibility in Apple land is good, and we like reading them. Absolutely. Um, And hey, maybe you will write the review that Tim Cook notices and says, let's get those guys and their network signed up to blast out more music. And more Mm. ideas to all of you. You could be the tipping point. You could. You could. Um, So in terms of publishing structure, as you guys kind of well know by now, every other Tuesday is when we release these. Uh, We're kind of doing some live fun shows on the Osiris YouTube page. A few of you guys are coming out. It's been fun hanging out with you guys. We did one in the evening. We did one in the morning. We're going to kind of see what works a little, works best, um, but it's fun to hang out, do kind of an abbreviated version of our episodes. Uh, but every other Tuesday you're going to find us, we'll be talking jams for much of the spring as uh, we move into summer. No word yet at this point, at least of recording, of whether or not we're getting a fish tour this summer. Hoping that we mm. do, hoping that this whole thing takes a turn for the best and we can find ourselves in July saying, man, that was intense and it might come back, but for now, we get to at least have some enjoyment outside in nice, warm, beautiful summer air listening to fish. We'll see. Yeah, I would hopefully 
Hopefully, hopefully. I mean, if Fish has to cancel summer tour, there's certainly worse things that could befall us. I'd uh, sooner people be safe and healthy. And then they can come back rearing for fall tour, which uh, hopefully there is going to be one. <laughs> and if you've made it this far, thank you very much. We hope that you are listening in health and isolation. Seriously, stay the fuck home. Nothing's open right now. You want to go out for a walk, get some fresh air, you're allowed. But, uh, you know, stay home. I'm finding it uh, certainly an interesting experience. At the same time, I will be very happiest when I can uh, start patronizing my favorite restaurants again, which hopefully will still exist when this blows over. And that somber note, come back on two Tuesdays. Fight Fish Myopia will introduce you to some new exciting music and some good jams. Brian and I will go beyond the pond. Beyond the Pond podcast is part of Osiris Media. It is co-hosted by David Goldstein and Brian Brinkman, and it is edited by Brian Brinkman.